This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Pints and Politics UK. After a solo episode and a Gus substitution, Adam is back from his hiatus. Hello. How are we all doing today? Yes, do yeah, hopefully you're all doing very well. And like I said last week, we're very proud of Adam for his for his endeavors in helping out uh, children who were less fortunate than himself. Yeah, because I'm a child. Yeah, because he's a child, man child. <laughs> the way you said that made me sound like a child. I did sound like a child, but no, 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 no. I think you should oh, just touch you. on it yourself a bit. Go on, just explain what uh, you're doing. It's just a bit of altruism, a bit of, to help those less fortunate than ourselves for the greater good, especially during these difficult times of um, isolation and lockdowns. So, you know, helping out those who require a little bit of assistance is hardly anything of our own time, is it? So Just I would give recommend. Give us a, a hint of what you one thing you did particularly on that. I cannot talk about it to be honest with you. Really? Um, yeah. Bound by confidentiality. Yes. So I am, but I can say it is good to get out there and help in any way you can. Helping is good, people. Helping is good, even Helping if you are bound good. by confidentiality. It's still very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's good. great to see and great to hear. Anyway, in the world. Thank of, you. In the world of politics and their current affairs it's been it's been quite busy this week actually i must say um it's been a busy three weeks i i've been struggling to keep up with everything yeah when i did my solo thing it went well over half an hour which wasn't intended i just couldn't stop talking Uh, it just kept going on and on and on oh that's new isn't it i know you not being able to stop talking i know yeah (laughs) last, last week broke over the hour so uh again it was oh my it was madness madness what can i say but we're going to start off with a big topic, and there is a lot to go out, but big topic really is like we were discussing last week. Last week we said we think the June 21st deadline will not happen. We think it will be delayed. And this week we know it has been delayed. So, you know, that's uh, um, the confirmation really. I mean, there's a, there's a lot really of potential big topics this week. We're going to get on to other stuff later on, including Brexit, including Dominic Cummings, including more vaccines, yeah. including more uh, pushes to get people vaccined, including the G7 meeting, the re- the formation of GB News. It is crazy. And Biden meets Probably. Putin. Could have been anything. But we'll focus on this. Uh, we're not surprised, are we? It was leaked. Pardon? We're not surprised about the whole, you know, June 21st. Oh, no. absolutely not. We Didn't we say this right from the start? We said... 21st of June is too ambitious. There has to be something that will stop it from reaching that point smoothly. Um, even when the emergence of all, like, how successful the vaccinations were going on and all that. Because we, we we started down ourselves, didn't we, a couple of months ago? We were like, do you know what? Maybe, they, maybe just maybe, they're going to pull this off. Mm. But as predicted by, you know, the health officials, the advisors, a new variant did pop up that is starting to cause a bit of issues and being the reason why they've extended what what date is it johnny that they've extended uh, it to? 19th of july 
So that's yeah. roughly four weeks, I should think. Yeah, well, although when Boris Johnson was asked at the presser, he struggled to work out what date it was that they'd actually extended it to. Uh, <laughs> so. I, saw that, I, I saw that clip and somebody just uh, shouted, answer the bloody question! <laughs> yeah, it, it was it's quite oh, bad, that, isn't poor it? Boris. Yeah. Poor Boris. I mean, to be fair, we did think it was a bit ambitious to begin with, but then when when we went on a few weeks later from when it had initially been announced, we also both agreed that it was actually the halfway house. I always say this, and we always say this, really, between the uh, the people who were strictly following the science and wanted a really really slow easing of restrictions, and the people who were following the economy and the and the and the return to normality who wanted everything back to normal by April. So it was like the halfway house. And to be fair, we both well, said. Boris Johnson, you know what? You, you seem to have took a, a sensible um, route here. And I think it was fairly sensible. The more we looked at it, the more we saw it. But again, I think even though we thought it was sensible, we still felt, given how it had gone to that point, that it still felt to, me, to us a bit unrealistic. And that's probably because of how they handled it up until that point, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think there's, if you, you know, you can only, you only have to trail through Twitter for half an hour to see how, People start listening to things. It's just, just a cold was the first one. That mm. it was. It's a just a mask, mm. just a month, mm. just this, and, and it keeps it going. Yeah. Just the twenty first of June, and I said, how many just just a decade, just the, yeah, yeah, to, you know. yeah. How many of these sort of false, sort of or hollow statements and promises do we have to keep on hearing until mm. you know something actually happens? Like, don't get me wrong. I think we're all in a pretty good place to go out and make, yeah. you know, social, socialising has been expanded where you're not confined to yeah. a set number of sort of mixing households. You can mix with a number as long as you keep it to the right figures, yeah. all that sort of thing. You know, all that is great, but mm. another four weeks, do you think that's enough time or? Oh, yeah, that yeah, the, the yeah. big questions, the big questions. Yeah, is it too much or is it not not enough? Well, before we get to that, let's just let's just assess why. Like you say, you mentioned the variant, which was previously called the Indian variant, although sensibly has been changed to the Delta variant, probably for yes. uh, reasons a bit like why we didn't want to call coronavirus the China virus because obviously yeah. there's racial elements yeah. to it, so cultural we'll go- insensitivity and all that stuff. Yeah, so we'll go with the yeah. Delta variant now. So that's obviously caused the surge in cases. Um, yeah. Not everybody is vaccinated. That's down to two things, really. One, we haven't actually, I think tomorrow, tomorrow being yesterday when this goes out. So let's say the Friday, um, Friday the 18th is when apparently all people uh, 18 years and above will be allowed to access their first vaccine, regardless of uh, previous health conditions or whatnot. So reason, as I say, for this delay, Delta variant, not everybody being vaccinated, uh, or and I say everybody willing to be vaccinated, not everybody's had the chance yet. Um, yeah. And and essentially, why did that Delta variant come come? We believe because the um, the the borders were left open. India was put on the red list two or three weeks too late because of trade um, because of the trade possibilities, uh, which are quite essential in a post Brexit uh, Britain, or at least to Boris Johnson they are. So there's criticisms there. And uh, yeah, so that's that's where we're at. And to go back to your question, yeah. will four weeks be enough to essentially what the idea is four weeks? Will, will it be enough to get everyone vaccinated? Um, possibly, possibly not, because there's a lot of people who don't want the vaccine, particularly in my yeah. area. There's a big you, could, you just need to troll the social well, media. 
and, and, and I'm, I'm literally just looking at sort of uh, an article now of like temporary cases and it's interesting that you say your area so we're talking Burnley uh-huh. sort of northwestern areas um that they're they're the only places in the UK that are falling into the red bracket which yeah. is 500 plus cases yeah I think it comes down to an educational thing isn't it I think a lot of, lot of local areas lack have lacked um uh investment they have lacked education high education standards and what happens i think is a lot of these cases uh, places get left behind and it's easy then when pet places are left behind and they do they do feel a long way away from other cities in britain i.e london manchester whatnot um it can be easy for um i suppose um different angled news or or conspiracy news to to attach itself amongst the people and uh, that that kind of gossip starts to stretch and becomes attached to a large group of people, it gets attached to a large group of people. Before you know it, you have a, a lot of people who are of the mindset that certain things um, are not for them, in this case, a vaccine, and they're distrusting of, of general national advice or general acceptable opinion. And, yeah, I, I think it does come down to local investment, education, and people feeling, le- feeling left behind. And it's a, it's a problem, really. The government are going to struggle to overcome, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to agree more. Mm. Um, no, it's it's very interesting. So, But sort of the main narrative, mm. like you've just said, that I personally feel is the uh, like more of the sole responsibility of it spreading as quickly as it is, is those who are refusing to take the vaccine. Mm for non-medical reasons and i think uh, that narrative and that sort of conspiracy beliefs that come with that narrative Mm. is it is starting to become harmful Mm. go on explain explain yeah because people are starting to suffer again and it's because there's an increase in cases people are starting to get hospitalized again which will domino onto maybe potentially causing more restrictions uh, you know a few steps back in the progress we've made over the last few months you know these are harmful to people to businesses to economy um but is that something is that controversial to say would you say um so so just summarize what you are trying to say i think i know what you're trying to say but in a sentence what's i'm basically saying sort of this anti-vaccine yeah narrative Mm. is becoming harmful to the british public uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was having this debate again. This is the issue again. It's another debate in itself, and it probably will become a debate section in itself. Not we've got a debate section this week, so it'll be another week. But whether or not you think the vaccine should be compulsory now, there is a bit of that in one of the other news stories that we're going to do. Yeah. Bit, but I, I'm I'm not quite of that opinion because again, we, you've discussed it. There's medical conditions that would pe- make people exempt. Mental health, yeah. struggles, yeah. and people who have fears of vaccines makes them exempt and to be honest people who are who are wrapped in this anti-vax narrative are probably of, of, of a mindset of a mental mindset that's not quite aligned with with the majority of the mental mindset so again to them it seems like a threat to them it's terrifying to them it, it, it's literally the last thing in the world that they'd want to do um and, and that might be that might be upsetting to some people like that i yeah i, I think that's a very good point that's, that, mm-hmm. that's a very like eloquent way um, to put it like mm. I haven't actually thought of it in that mm. sort of way because I suppose if this is your mindset and you believe that mm. it's harmful to you then mm. you know yeah 
it's, it's a difficult one. It is difficult. And I suppose it's also worth mentioning as well that also when you do get the vaccine, that is to protect you. It doesn't necessarily protect the other person. That's to protect you and stop you from spreading it. But if the other people have the vaccine, then theoretically that should stop them from taking the taking on the disease themselves. Now I'm well aware if everyone thought like that, then you'd be in a bit of a predicament, obviously. Exactly. But, yeah. but but what I'm saying is if a certain number of people do it, i.e. I think 60 or 70%, I think they were saying, uh, or, or could get to that point where basically you could you could almost defeat the vaccine, the virus, sorry, by by herd immunity at that point, if enough because you're injecting it into your body's uh, the COVID into your body's and it gives you antibodies, doesn't it, the vaccine? So theoretically, if you got to about 70, 75% or something along those lines, I don't think it should be too problematic. And then those people that didn't, the vast majority of whom I'm sure are in a position mentally or, or, or I don't know, maybe on religious grounds or maybe on because some people don't like to have vaccines or in that position for whatever reason, then there wouldn't be more upheaval than necessary. But it's a really difficult one because at the same time, you don't want to go and say, yeah. oh, uh, you, do, you know, you don't have to have it because if you do that, half the people won't have it and then you've got a problem. But if we get to a yeah. point where the majority have had it, then you can probably be a bit more um, brushy under the carpet, which is why I'm a bit against vaccine passports in, in a national sense, in a national yes. sense. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I completely agree with that. And what uh, I would, I what I would say as well is, uh, so you said as well because we still haven't answered your question. Will four weeks be enough? Well, um, that's difficult because a report by Channel Four has suggested that uh, leaked emails have given that uh, an, an inkling that there will be a third wave in inverted commas a double wave or speech marks, a double wave, uh, including child infections around August the 1st. This is what leaked emails have been given to, to scientists unless drastic measures are taking place. And I don't think there are drastic measures taking place at present because there's no easing, there's no tightening of restrictions. It's not being eased no. more, but it's not tightened. So apparently emails suggest that we are going to get some kind of third wave. That should have been apparent. And also as well, uh, Adam, I think in the winter, um we're expecting it along with the flu season it could be quite a big surge then as well so we might have to look at that in more detail but yeah four weeks if we if we do open up in four weeks um i would imagine that it's really 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 difficult you don't want to have a crystal ball i'm not convinced it it depends what you're looking for adam do you want herd immunity eventually and you essentially sort of cut short um the the push for almost near perfection or do you want caution for for a more sustained period of time so that the cases going up are at a level where it, it's very it's very meaningless as opposed to the deaths? Because I think at the moment there's a big there's a big emphasis on the cases going up as opposed to the deaths drastically going up. If you get me, yeah. So this is this is my thing, and um, because when I look at you compare what's the case numbers and death numbers now. Mm to peaks we've had previously it's nothing mm. it's got nothing on what we've already been through mm. so if you look at it in that respect then maybe these sort of increasing infection among kids and all that type of stuff will be of such a, more of a sort of smaller almost negligible effect mm. to the rest of us especially if 70 80 percent of the population is already vaccinated so maybe four weeks is enough to reach a point where the spread won't be or people will catch it, but it won't have that much of an effect on them. Mm. It'll just be like in a bit of a flu. 
or a bit a bit of a cough, you know, it, it won't be the same sort of hospitalization. Because mm. that is the purpose of the vaccine, is to mm. stop you getting hospitalized or severely ill from it. I think I read that 90%, uh, like if you've got Pfizer, it's 90%. If it's Oxford, uh, Zeneca, it's 85 to 90, whatever, depending on your age and mm. uh, bear mind, all that stuff. So these vaccines do work. Mm. And as long as we get to a certain number of vaccines the next four weeks, then I'd be open to, you know, maybe reducing it again. Well, that's what I think. It, that's what I think it comes down to. If you're looking at it from yeah. a purely cases point of view, and you're seeing these big rises, and that's what you're looking at, then I don't think it will stop people. It, it will rise. That's just going to happen it, it, because there's going to be more social interaction. There's going to be more easing of restrictions. It's going to happen because, as well, I don't think you'll have all the kids vaccinated then anyway. So it's going to spread. There's going to be more cases across the board. That is definitive. However, if you're measuring it by deaths, like we've just said, then I'm highly doubtful while they will go up, undoubtedly, unfortunately. I don't think it will go up to such a level that we've seen previously where it was a, you know, a national catastrophe in many ways. I, I cannot see that happening, oh. given all the vaccine strength. Although I wouldn't like to put a bet. We don't know if don't more variants yeah. come. We don't know if the, we, we don't have sufficient complete evidence whether the vaccines completely counter, I think, the, um, the Delta variant. I assume we'll have full complete evidence in about four weeks' time, because it's been around for a bit of time then. But, uh, yeah, if you're measuring it on a purely deaths point of view, then I think there is a possibility that in four weeks' time we can actually uh, ease even more uh, restrictions, at least until the winter months where we might have to cut back a little bit because of winter flu and yeah. the problems that come with that. But we'll see. We will see. Yeah, we will see. Well, let's keep positive. Yes. And enjoy the freedom while we do. Yeah. So other news stories now, closely related to this, uh, really I mean, I've touched on it, but uh, really quick. Everyone over 18 can get vaccinated uh, from tomorrow. Uh, f- sorry, tomorrow yeah, being Thursday when we record. And this is in the UK, by the way. Tomorrow uh, in the vaccine. Tomorrow while we're recording. And and the day yesterday when it goes out. So it'll be the Friday of the yesterday when England have played Scotland. That day, big game that. Um, so... Yeah, I mean that's just a good thing, isn't it? That that that's good to see that we've got to that age bracket now, and really it just shows that generally the uh, the vaccine program has been doing quite well, and now we've got to that eighteen year old stage, and it's good. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, not much more to add. Very good. Um, no, not really. No. Uh, okay, this is this is another one that's interesting. So there's been a push recently to make all care home workers vaccinated, and it's been and, and many are saying uh, and they're trying to push for it to be compulsory. Now this has come, this hasn't gone down too well. In fact, there's been suggestions that if this does go through, this measure does go through, that there will be a shortage of care home workers because many will resign over it and many will not continue in their post over it because they are skeptical about having the vaccine themselves. Uh, Again, this comes down to what we were discussing a bit before, really, I guess. But some would argue, I suppose, working in the care home sector, working with lots of old people, you should be vaccinated. Guess where? That, guess that's that where the um, where the ideas come from. But at the same time, if a large amount of your workforce don't want to, it's even more problematic in post Brexit Britain. Because where do you get your workers from? Well, exactly. So my this has always been sort of a weird sort because. Of, what they're basically imposing is an anti-democratic value, right? It is forcing someone to take a substance um, against their will, right? Mm-hmm. That's pretty much it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, you know, people... 
like you say, it's such a hard one because you, if you work in healthcare, mm. then surely you should be more open to being more protected or protecting mm. your patients. There's a duty of care. Yeah. Could, well, couldn't you argue that um, taking the vaccine is like synonymous or falls under your duty of care to protect your patient, to save them at all costs? Well, you could again, but again, it, it does come down to what you just said, uh, personal democratic choice, as well as the people who suffer from mental health. Again, I don't think many of those will necessarily be working as as, as helpers in that sector, but then you've got people who might want to opt out on religious grounds or people who have vaccine fears generally, or people yeah. who, you know, there's a lot of exemptions you can really throw into that. So it really becomes a problem. Like I said, if, if large amounts of this sector of people working in the sector, just say no, because yeah. it's not yeah. the best paid job. You know, it is, it's almost They're a not vocation. Treated very well by the, yeah. In many not treated ways. very well by the governments anyway, are they? Although it's worth bearing in mind, again, we do say they're not treated by the government, but many care homes are now privatised, privately owned, So, if, if not all, I think. So, um, essentially, they are being ran, and it sounds awful, but they are being ran for, on profitable basis because these are owned by private companies, the majority of whom have shareholders that just want to make more money. So I doubt the decision would... I doubt if you ask them whether they should have you know, the vaccine, they'd be so, oh, yeah, they must do it compulsory and everything. I do genuinely think that it wouldn't be a measure imp implemented by them, but more so the government in this case. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. I'm, again, slightly more inclined to go stick to my guns and say I think it still should be a personal choice uh, because you wouldn't be in that sector. Many wouldn't be in that sector. For many, it's a, it's a vocation. Many are loving, caring people, and I don't think the majority of them would be there if they didn't think they were doing the best that they could to look after the health of a, of a, of a patient there. Um, although I do take your point as well. Maybe you, you would argue that they could see it as a duty of care to take that in order not to pass that on. However, like yeah. I said before, the vaccine is there to protect them more so than others. So if they've had the vaccine, the, the older people, or the older residents, then they would surely be protected generally from covid it's a difficult one isn't it yeah it is it's mm. a really difficult one yeah um yeah really difficult one because it's difficult i know people the, in the care sector that aren't doing it i know people in the care sector who believe it's a hoax yeah so it's difficult to get your head around mm. um but you know these are people with their own views their own opinions yeah. they work a very admirable job knowledge job a modest job so yeah but you know this sort of argument this sort of narrative put forward by the government maybe they will push for this sort of anti-democratic sort of value going mm. forward because this sort of breaking that boundary of saying well if you want to work in health and social care you have to have the vaccine mm. will also give the government power to say in 10 years time we will stop we will ban the selling of electric uh, of, of diesel and petrol cars in the yep. uk or we will make it compulsory that you have to buy an x amount of vegan product along mm. with your meat you know these sort of things where does to, the line stop yeah where does the line stop so you know but once again you could argue 
those sort of uh, values of no no, no um, diesel and electric, uh, petrol cars, reduced you know consumption of meat will help the environment, will slow down global warming. You know, so these are you can always see the two sides of the argument. But the problem with these anti-democratic values is, by virtue, they are anti-democratic. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I, that is that I is think, a problem. That is issueless. You know what I mean? I think that's, we're both leaning on the same side, really. In terms, yeah. of, I think I wouldn't enforce it, and I don't think you would. But we can both because when, when when does it become authoritarian? Yeah, you know, when, when when does it become fascism? Fascism? Where, where where does it? You know, where does it? Where where is the line? It becomes so grey, it becomes so blurred. So, should they put it forward? I I don't know because this we're a melting pot in Britain when mm. it comes to cultures and we are beliefs um, on both sides. So, I don't think either of us can really give a a definitive answer on that one. No, I, I think you're right, Adam. I think you're right. Um, so we'll move on. Because we'll move on from that. And I suppose, uh, yeah, um, interesting Dominic Cummings. It's nothing you've not really heard. Dominic Cummings, Boris Johnson's ex-chief uh, advisor, helped him with Brexit, or, or should I say got Brexit done, Boris Johnson jumped on the bandwagon, and then Dominic Cummings helped him to get elected with a massive majority in 2019, helped him through the COVID pandemic with, with strategy, helped him with the Brexit deal, which hasn't gone down very well. Then he got sacked, and ever since he's been like the, you know, the, the grumpy ex who can't get over um, you know, the, the, the previous partner and spouting a lot of, uh, I suppose, revenge, revenge messaging, revenge screenshots, which isn't probably good when Boris Johnson's prime minister. Anyway, best one I think we've got of these quotes that have come out. You can see them all on Twitter, really. Uh, a conversation he had with what on with Boris Johnson on WhatsApp, where Boris Johnson called Hancock effing hopeless, um, among other <laughs> things. Uh, again. Uh... I don't really want to spend too much time on this because one, you can check the, tw- the the threads on Twitter; they're easily accessible. There's quite a lot of screenshots on that WhatsApp chat, um, and two, it's nothing we've not really covered before because it's just an extension, really, of everything we've covered in in previous weeks about Dominic Cummings attacking his former uh, his former boss uh, Boris Johnson. But uh, yeah, I suppose um, do you make. <laughs> Do you make of the uh, Hancock jibes? I mean, Hancock himself declared that he doesn't think he's useless, which is always nice. <laughs> At least he has faith in himself. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Good for you, Matt. Gold yeah. star. Gold star, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jacob Rees-Mogg said it's not important what Bor- whether Boris Johnson thought he was useless or not. Well, it probably is a bit, isn't it, when you're in the middle of a... Well, at the end of the day, he's still prime minister, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, come so, on, yeah. yeah. So it's quite important, yeah. <laughs> it's quite, it's quite oh, funny. It's like it, a really? playground, the Conservative Party. It is quite funny. There's not much to do. I mean, do you think that, first of all, just, just we're not going to spend much on this, but do you think there's that all of these text messages are genuine? Some of them you think, no, but then you think, actually, remember who's in charge? Honestly, I. I, I I don't really want to put a definitive answer, but it would not surprise me if yeah. every word of that is true. Like, if I found out that some of it was fabricated, all right, yeah. But if I found out it was completely true, I'd be equally like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. Pretty much. Also, yeah. then, just to touch on there, uh, we 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 actually for, for the majority of this of these podcast episodes, we've always been COVID's all 
almost always been at the forefront for obvious reasons and the response, but also just before, um, well, not just before, we've been, it's been sort of in, in tandem with uh, Brexit as COVID and when the deal went through, it was, it was yeah. patched up. Uh, so this week, uh, Britain has signed a deal with Australia. Woo. Well, not really, uh, not really woo. Um, so it's apparently, <laughs> apparently, you know, well, I've seen graphs where you see that the amount of good that, that the deals did with the European Union uh, and taken <laughs> away, and then you see the amount of good that this deal does with, with Australia, and it's very minimal. Um, so essentially, uh, well, perfectly summed up by Angus B. McNeil, the MP for SNP, MP on Twitter said the UK-Australia trade deal, the basics, Brexit costs 4.9% of GDP, Australia deal worth 0.02% of GDP. So that would be, oh, if my maths is, I think it'd be 4 point, well, nearly 4.9, That's very, very, very small. So he says it's like throwing away £4.90 and risking farming for 2p. Um, why is it risking farming? Because... It's essentially a trade deal where we get access to lots of Australian meat. It comes into the UK market, and this is this is uh, potentially undercutting lots of British farmers and the uh, Scottish, the Welsh, and the Northern Irish are a bit apprehensive. Well, when I say a bit apprehensive, that's an understatement. They are very apprehensive that they are going to get shafted, um, as many people thought farmers and and, and uh, people of that ilk would do in a post-Brexit uh, deal with, with Australia. It looks like that. I mean, the Australian uh, acting PM, Michael McCormack, basically said uh, he, was, he was quite happy when he was interviewed on Australian news. He was, he, was, he was delighted by the prospect of this deal. He said he wasn't really too interested in the effects that it gave to some of the uh, other British nations like Northern Ireland, Scotland and Wales. Yeah. He was just focused on Australia, which, to be fair to Michael, he should be because he's the acting prime minister. But... You know, it do, does seem like a bit of a, again, uh, Britain trying to do deals for the sake of doing deals, making it look good, opening opportunity for other business like Australia. But again, at the, at the, at the, um, for the, they've just ruined it. Like, yeah. just, again, it's another just a crap deal. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. going to be anyone who's ever watched or done a bit of research. If you've ever watched Carl Spirit on Netflix or you've done a bit of reading about, the meat industry in Australia, it is not good. Terrible. Like mm. there's no sort of compulsory requirements to keep, you know, livestock in certain conditions, CCTV, the numbers of them are in, how much the fed during transit, you know, what is pumped into them to make them grow. You know, just that general welfare of animals in general is really quite low in Australia compared to what it is in the UK. Mm. So the quality of the meat, it's not only just going to be maybe a little bit worse because it's been literally been shipped across half of the world, yeah. like literally across the world. And second of all, is that it's it's really unethical. Yeah. So it, I find it a very problematic deal. I'm not happy about it, especially when I see a lot of farms around where I live who really rely on this sort of trade. Yeah, and also as you as you say all of these things taken into account when it comes over, you imagine that these products will be on shelves cheaper than the British counterpart and it will undercut them, you would imagine. And that's going to be problematic yeah. for all these farmers who are trying to sell Absolutely. at a similar rate that they used to. This is, this is basically like you say, low standard meat um, yeah. that kind of uh, laughs at the standards that British farmers go to, to produce that meat. And uh, also yeah. laughs at their profits. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, so not great, not great all round. Anyway, uh, on to uh, big debate this week, and this is a, this is an important one actually because it, it's it's been going round on my Twitter for uh, a particularly uh, particularly long time. Well, all week really. Uh, everyone's or seen a little bit, whether it be on social media, whether it be on the channel of GB News. What is GB News? I suppose for for any Americans listening, GB News is essentially Britain's attempt at Fox News, which is a right wing. Uh, more, uh, I suppose, it, it likes to frame itself as more anti-establishment and and, and less woke. I use an in inverted commas than the, than the mainstream media uh, are supposedly called. Um, where, where, where its political allegiance is, is I suppose still up in the eggs. It's only just set that uh, come out, but again, the political stance generally will be a moderate right wing uh, opinion. And essentially, debate section for this week is is GB News good, bad, or dangerous? Uh, Adam, thoughts on the whole thing as it as it just started up? Oh, I don't know. It's problematic right off the hook. You know, it's it's going to be like you say. Quite when we say quite, it's going to be very right wing. Mm. It's a very, very patriotic channel. Yeah. You know, it's literally called Great British News. You know, just off the forefront, it's going to be very pro-British traditional values. British, you know, that which there is no issue with that at all. You know, we all have a bit of traditional values. Britain has got, a, you know, a rich culture and a history is a very interesting history. So I'm not against any of that. But what my worry is, what's going to be represented what sort of narratives are going to be put through this and whether it's going to be misleading and harmful. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's yeah, well put. That's my issue. I've got nothing wrong with the concept of GB News. I think no. it's great that they've opened another news channel for more for other people, for other narratives. I think that is fantastic. But what it just worries me, like, is it going to be another channel that's going to lead for more right-wing, more extremist views, more yeah. sort of twisted views? And is this going to be harmful for Great Britain as a nation. Yeah, well, great. I mean, we'll start with good then, because uh, I've sort of split good, bad or dangerous. The good, I, I agree with you on good. I tweeted that yeah. even though GB News wasn't uh, aligned to my, what I thought my, sorry, it's, it's not, I don't think will be aligned to my political views, because again, give it time, but from off the bat, what, what it's presented as, it's not aligned with my political views, but we live in a democracy views should be represented it shouldn't all be left wing it shouldn't all be centrist there should be an element of everything i mean it's sad really i think i i do think that you know fr from my point of view the best coverage should always be somewhere in the center where you can take a bit of both but again you're always going to get people who claim bias like it's amazing we've said this before that but many people have said the bbc is too right wing the bbc is too left wing in actual fact i think it's quite a nice slap bang in the center somewhere but again it's nice to have other views represented and, and uh, because I suppose you would argue the news isn't, isn't necessarily a channel or a beacon of patriotism of, of, of say of showing ways in which you could be proud of Britain. It's often quite, you know, there's often quite negative gloomy stories and there isn't as much uh, narrative, I guess, on, on other, on other things that, that people might want to see. Um, and again, I think there is a market for that. There's a market for every opinion provided it's not extreme, yeah. right. 
or extreme left. And from what I've seen of GB News, it's not extreme right. Uh, for starters, if it was, it wouldn't be on air. Um, but it, it is, it's solidly right wing. It's solidly right wing. Um, but again, there is, a, as, as you've said, as I've said, in democracy, debate is essential, absolutely essential. I actually like to read columns and, and, and uh, see videos of people who don't agree with me. For example, I don't know, I don't agree with everything he says, but Jordan Peterson can put forward some interesting debates. I don't agree with everything he says. Right, I don't. But sometimes I think it's nice to take little bits and bats from someone like him and think, actually, that's really interesting. So-and-so might not have said this. And in the same kind of context, there will be some things, I'm sure, on GB News, if I was to look, I'd say, you know what? They have a point there. They have a point. And I'm glad that I heard that point of view. It's not going to be something I say too often, I don't think, because it's not aligned with my view generally, but it's always nice to see both sides of the coin. I think especially yeah, what you were absolutely. sort of suggesting. Yeah. So I've just been had a quick, as you were talking there, Johnny, I've just been having a quick read through. You know, they've got quite a diverse sort of news family. Yeah. You know, there's four, eight, 12, 16, um, 78. So they've got the best part of 20 news readers. And they are quite diverse. Um, a few, you know, names that we already know: Michelle Dubry, um, Andrew, Andrew Neil, yeah. Don Watton. Um, I don't like Don Watton, but yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Neil Oliver. Um, you know, yes. But just giving, looking over a few of the the sort of bios, a lot of them have stood previously for the Brexit Party. Is one example here. Other than believe in quintessential British values, so yeah, we can see. I think I think it's one of those. I don't want to make too many assumptions. I just hope it's not going to be harmful to the you know to, to sort of general narratives. Like Piers Morgan is sort of someone I would compare this sort of yeah view to. It's very controversial. It's very you know out there to make a scene. So I'm hoping that they're not here to make a scene. They're here to actually give news. So we'll see. Honestly, yeah. I don't really have much else to say on that. No, yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, so, yeah, we talk about... So that's the good, potentially, that it offers more yeah. of, a, of a debate uh, on a broader spectrum. So, yeah, I'm going to go with good. To answer your question at, at the start, I think it's good. I'm going to go with good. There is, there is an element of good. Okay. So let's go yeah. on to bad. Um, the bad side of it. So, uh, well, first of all, the graphics have been have been branded tacky. There's been lots of technical errors throughout the week. Um, there's been some strange, almost filler content. Particularly, I remember one of the early days. Dan Wooten interviewed Alan Sugar in a one to one Q and A. Alan Sugar looked like he was bored to be there, and they were having a debate, and it was just a bit, um, yeah, it just felt like a bit of a time filler, really, and just, uh, you know. I, I, again, again, I, I feel like that that's sort of expected with a new channel, I suppose. Um, yeah. In terms of in terms of you, you're testing out new elements, but again, you know, there's been quite a few things people taking the mick out of the the standard of the production. But at the same time, you would argue that as many have, the more you take the mick out of the production, the more you take the mick out of um, the standard of conversation, the more the more people poke fun at it the more engagement it gets on social media, the more people watch who wouldn't ordinarily watch. And then suddenly you're actually uh, doing it. It's, it's kind of a talk sport tactic, actually. Talk sports and radio cha um, 
sports channel that often goes for clickbait. So they'll say an outrageous opinion. Everyone says they're stupid. And then you're all listening to talk sport. It's like the negative, um, you know, the slander actually is a good thing. Any, any publicity is good publicity, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I've got a feeling that it might not be popular among the left. Yeah. Obviously, actually, it's not going to be popular among the left. No. Yeah. So um, I'm, uh, I don't think it's going to be majorly popular among students. No. Um, maybe sort of more of the Labour sort of green areas of the UK, but maybe sort of more of the traditional sort of Brexit UK sort of supporters might be more inclined. Mm. Conservatives might be more inclined to. But we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. We'll see. Well, we've had, uh, we'll go on to dangerous now then a little bit and the possibility of that. We've heard, you know, they, they are, they take quite right-wing stances on, on a lot of topics, taking the knee, for example, being one in football where they've said they, they've ran with a Marxist interpretation, which I actually, we talked about this last week, actually, when you weren't on, actually, Adam, and we sort of said that uh, the the concept of the Marxist opinion was something that's quite been quite well-drafted and, and thought out, uh, Give us an overview of that concept then. What, yeah, well, it, I, I, I personally don't think it is Marxist. So essentially when the footballers, in, 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 in brief, when the footballers kneel um, on the football pitch, they were doing it in solidarity for black players and, and, and black people in general. But people yeah. had thought that the actual institution, BLM, which, is, which had said things like defunding the police and um, made other political, grand political gestures when they when they came about, um, they felt that... that having those big political ambitions. Uh, and then when the players were taking the knee, they associated that with the BLM movement because it's still about BLM. And then there was this apparent fear and then the idea of Marxism. Now, we, we actually broke down last week that we didn't think that defunding the police was necessarily a Marxist thing because in Marxist states, police is a very strong and the, and, the, and the state's very strong. So again, it didn't really stack yeah. up. But there was a point enough that when we were discussing it that saying things like defunding the police and making grand political gestures does kind of take away from the movement. So in actual fact, there was a little bit of scepticism on kneeling, even though I personally felt it was fine and, and would back the movement still. When you make big things like that, it can open a bit, the door to a bit of scrutiny, I suppose, unfortunately, for something that should just be about solidarity. Now, GB News has gone to town on this. Of course it has. And talked up, talked up that side of the argument um as well um and and i'm conflicted because while i don't agree with it i do think there is something behind it and i don't agree with the marxist thing either but again it is important to, to sort of cover both sides even if you don't agree with it the only thing like we've said for danger is that it starts to take a thing which i believe was actually from the footballer's point of view in kneeling all about racial solidarity and it makes it it sort of tries to to just rip it apart really um, and, yeah. and, and then it, it and the and do, do the danger the danger element of GB News really is division. That's the thing that scares people. Fox News in America has created division amongst uh, Americans, uh, with many of its uh, viewers taking on board their narratives and their beliefs. And there is the worry that that could happen with GB News. Yeah, Legitimate. I think that that's more of an eloquent way of putting it from what I was trying to say at the start. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's other things as well. Uh, of course, woke versus anti-woke. Um, again, that's another way, isn't it, of looking at it. Uh, I get it's funny, Adam, when we talk about wokeism as well. Woke initially was to have a, you know a general understanding of 
of things around you and, and to be educated enough. That was what work used to mean. And then it's been paid. It's, it's sort of a pejorative word now, uh, because since then, the, the semantics, the denotation of woke is now negative because it, it almost means, um, you know, obsessive do-gooder as opposed to well-educated and well-informed on, on others. Um, yeah. And it's an easy one to, to cause division again, because when you used to say woke, it used to mean, you know, you understand the world around you a little bit. Now, when you say woke, it's almost like, oh, you're a political correctness gone mad nut job. So... Uh, again, yeah, this, exactly. is, this is this yeah. is branded as an anti-woke channel as well, Adam. Again, is that a yeah. dangerous thing? Somewhat to be anti-woke? Yeah, yeah, I think there's an exchange. You can be. Uh, I feel like you can have conservative values. Yeah. You can be for economy, for privatization, but you can also accept, you know, diversity among genders, sexualities. Mm. You can be pro LGBTQ. You know, you can be pro. Um, choice mm. you can believe that in the me too movement you can take the knee even if you are a conservative yeah you know n- this is what worries me being woke or and having political allegiance don't have to be in tandem mutually yeah you know like they don't have to be reliant on one another you can be pro police and pro blm yeah and i'm pretty sure there's plenty of police who are pro blm you know what i mean like yeah you know point that, yeah. even if the BLM I've said defund the police I'm pretty sure there's plenty of police officers I've gone hang on a minute there's plenty of us trying to change it from the inside because we believe in this movement so yes that is very dangerous and and as well Adam actually when you say that you make a really good point and that kind of that that's kind of a, another thing when you look at the BLM movement although this was in America and people seem to forget that this was an American perspective but then when people yes. in the UK see it as defunding the police and see that as that narrative is coming over to the UK that yeah. thing that you just said is, is is a nuanced point which is just forgotten because it's then the police versus black people which side do you yeah. fall on and yeah. again that, that yeah they don't have to be mutually exclusive mm. you know i mean you can have both you, yeah. you can like the police and you can like the BLM movement mm. they can have their disagreements you mm. can take sides on sort of but the police have i think they're necessary in the state i think yeah, they do good. i do yeah you know what i mean but i also think the BLM movement is doing good because we're finally addressing issues that have plagued yeah. history plagued mm. the you know the black yeah. community for yeah. how many yeah. you know centuries yeah I, this is what really annoys me about this whole anti-pc anti-woke the left and right not meeting in the middle because they could agree on so many things but they just enjoy picking at each other yeah and i just hope this gb news doesn't worsen that division yeah and just on just as a lasting thing on gb news as well i think uh and also a widening point on cancel culture. It got me really interested this week. A lot of people, you know, how people on the right often shout cancel culture and being cancelled and whatnot. You can't cancel me. Well, in actual fact, the fact that you're hearing those voices means you're not really being cancelled. How many people do we say here say, oh, I'm, you know, I mean, when Piers Morgan got cancelled from ITV, he went yeah. and wrote about it in the Daily Mail. You know, I saw, I saw, I saw another person, a, a Telegraph writer, forgot her name, Google it. Uh, sorry. Um, and she got cancelled from the Telegraph, and she wrote about it in the Daily Mail. So you're not really being cancelled. It's like I don't know. It's... Everyone has freedom of speech. It just depends which platform allows you to put it there. Yeah, um, I understand how you would feel sort of cancelled. You know, if you were taken off that point for saying what you'd said. Yeah, I understand that, but 
at the same time when you're saying what you're saying and it goes against the majority of the yeah. beliefs of that sort of institution, then there's going to be problems, isn't it? Um, but but there's but, there, but in a lot of instances, these people who are claiming cancel culture is cancelling them find themselves somewhere else writing about it or talking about it. You know exactly. So I feel like calling it cancel culture is like saying that you feel like your point is not being heard loud enough. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. But again, it works both ways because we we were talking about this last week where when the Oxford student decided to pull down a picture, a portrait of the Queen, something I thought was a bit strange, but hey, hey-ho. When, they, when yeah. they pulled down a portrait of the Queen, um, the people who, who wanted freedom of speech in, implemented in universities went mad and they said, you can't do that, but it's freedom of speech. So again, is cancel culture yeah. just a thing like when you're personally affected, but then when it's another side, when it's, so for example, if the left um, have a problem with the right, you know, uh, or, sorry, if the left get cancelled what i'm trying to say is it's all about perspective isn't it so whatever if, if someone on the right does something wrong then the left call them out for it and say da, 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 da. um you know it's just similar to if the left is something that the right don't like and they go da, 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 da. there's always hypocrisy isn't there with with the, with the both absolutely because i think i was just thinking about what i've just said there is there'll be problems if you're going against what the majority of said like the, the pierce morgan yeah point there i was just thinking my head as i was saying that that is a bit hypocritical to the point I've just said prior to it. Yeah. About people not being mutually exclusive. Yeah. So you see we're all victims, but we all become per- perpetrators of it. Yeah. Just okay, it's so complex complex and so difficult. Yeah. To find a middle ground. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take yeah. a lot of education, a lot of time, I think. Nuances. Fun. Finally meet again in the middle. Yeah. And I think for this reason yeah. we're gonna look at a conservative government for quite a while so yeah but that's a whole different buckle up people (laughs) yeah well i think this is yeah it's a whole different debate for a whole different time it is but yeah but i am aware for anyone listening who thought that my point was crap i'm aware that it was crap so (laughs) very good very good it's always good when you got self-awareness um it is Uh, on to America now, which is really America. It's really Britain because it was the G7 meeting this week. And I, I, have, to, I have to bring some of Boris said up again. I'm crying laughing nearly. Just how he, you know, when you're clearly not prepared your speech and he said something along the lines of, um, well, he said he said his, his, his initial phrase, which he used for the uh, election, build back better. And then he kept going and he kept going and he said, build back more gender neutral, build back more feminine. And then people were thinking, well, you know, this is Boris Johnson's attempt, I suppose, of being a more liberal prime minister without really thinking his words through. It actually annoyed a few of the uh, the sort of anti-wokers, I suppose, if you will, uh, who, who aren't necessarily for that. And, uh, in a way, we should we should kind of applaud the fact that Boris Johnson's trying to be a little bit more... Um, yeah. Yeah. He, he might have his terminology. He said it, yeah. Yeah, he got his terminology and his, and his delivery was... Ask about it, and it was an actual, yeah. you know, um, attempt at maybe winning over more voters to the Conservative Party. Then you know, but he just doesn't. He just he doesn't do it very well. Does no. he? That's the no. point. He just doesn't help himself. 
No, no, he doesn't. I mean, he met Joe Biden this week, and obviously that was the really big thing. Joe Biden met him this week. Joe Biden met Emmanuel Macron and the and the European Union this week, and it was. I don't know if you saw Adam. There was a there was a little chat that Joe Biden had with Macron. Macron speaking in fluent English, um, was saying how good it is to have the American president on side that they can work together strongly with the with the powerful yeah. European Union, and that and and that Joe Biden's fully behind the European Union, and it showed them all together. You've got Merkel, you've got the other members of the European Union, along with Joe Biden, all having a good time. Obviously, we are not there. And you just think oh. it, it, it does seem really. We obviously saw Biden with Boris Johnson beforehand uh whether there is any authenticity in the the smiles and the and the apparent conversations they're having is another thing because of course in the past boris johnson has slandered joe biden particularly when he was the right hand man to barack obama and he slandered barack obama himself when barack obama was in charge of america obviously that was a long time ago but words i suppose yeah. do, do hang around um, Joe Biden's made no secret that he doesn't like Brexit. Joe Biden's also made no secret that he thinks the European Union's a great organisation. Um, yeah, what, what, what do we think? What do we think about the whole meet? Do we think? Do we think Britain are going to get much from America? Do we think that America's more likely to side with Europe? Is it going to be a bit of both? I don't know. Man. I have no idea because we've always had that special relationship yes. with America. Yeah. Um, whether Brexit has affected that or not, I don't know. Because when Trump was in power, he was very much behind the fact that Britain was leaving the EU. Yeah. If he actually understood what was going on, we we will never know. But <laughs> you know, when it comes to Biden, he's a Democrat. Yeah. And he's very much more liberal in working together, people working together, nations working together for a great good on Britain doing Brexit has fundamentally opposed that value. So, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Of- I think I think it might not affect trade that much, and no. I, but it, I think it might affect sort of the ability to sort of... But I don't know. I don't know. I think... So, obviously, um, obviously, the... the, the, the there is the issue of Northern Ireland, which is quite close to Joe Biden's heart, that Boris Johnson has made a bit of a catastrophe of. Uh, in, in Yes, that is true. So that's yeah. one of the big issues, obviously. So yeah. just for a bit of context on that. So Northern Ireland have been left between, um, well, they've been left in limbo, not really a part of, of Europe, but then not really Brexit either. They've just sort of been left in the middle and then it's affecting... Yeah. I mean, Boris Johnson said multiple times that there would be a seamless, uh, there would be no border attached to Ireland, no hard border, because that would affect trade, of course. Unfortunately, there have been borders, there have been restrictions, there have been barriers in place that have affected trade. And Northern Ireland have been very, very angry about it. Boris Johnson has done very, very little about it. And that's really angered Joe Biden, who has uh, Irish Irish blood. Yeah. 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 So, again, I'm sure that was that was mentioned on the table and, and Again, it comes down to that, doesn't it, really? With Trump and Biden, sorry, with Trump and and Boris Johnson, you saw two similar characters, really. You couldn't trust either of them, you know, once you left the room to keep the word. But with Biden, you get the sense he's much more of an elder statesman, uh, a more natural leader, someone who can, you know, keep his word in more more instances than he doesn't, which is quite the opposite of Boris Johnson. So you can't really think that, and Biden knows what Boris Johnson is, doesn't he? Let's be honest. And I don't think if if yeah. and if Joe Biden was to pick a British prime minister, he wouldn't pick Boris Johnson. So again, uh, that Northern Ireland thing's a really, really big thing uh, that that he really does need to to um, 
to do. But obviously, as as the as as everything goes with with Brexit Britain, we need America more than America need us. Absolutely, yeah, because that's where the trade comes back in again. America's a big country, a lot of product, a lot of produce. Yeah, land of the free, neoliberal capitalism. No, it's yeah, it's it's worrying. I think because we might end up with a, another crap deal like we do with Australia. Yeah, I don't. Know, I don't think this Brexit thing's going too good for Johnson, is it? <laughs> I don't think it's going great. No, but we'll. Ha- I don't uh, think. I don't. To be great. fair to Boris Johnson, I don't think it would have gone too well for whoever was in charge, whether it be May or whoever. But then Boris Johnson did uh, did taint himself with that um, with that particular thing. So yeah, I suppose yeah. he's only got himself to blame. Uh, yeah, right, so. Anyway, on to the. On to uh, the other big meeting. Biden's been really busy this week. He went to uh, see his good friend Vladimir Putin at uh, a yeah. high state Geneva summit. And quite interesting. interesting. So Biden's not actually spoken too much good about Putin. In fact, he's called him a murderer, a liar, a person who, you know, quite the opposite of Trump, who was sort of cozying up to him like his pal. Um, yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and Biden and Putin sort of said that Biden should. Uh, it's insinuated he's getting a bit old, which I suppose he is. But again, there's been no love loss really shared between it. Um, Biden, um, you know, they, they've had this summit. By, uh, Putin actually said they had constructive talks uh, between the yeah. two countries. Uh, Biden yeah. again was calling him out in many instances, saying that he knows that he's done cyber attacks. He won't tolerate any more interference in democracy within the United States, which is quite, I'd say, ballsy, considering Trump didn't, probably didn't say any of these things, really, and didn't, didn't really accuse him of anything. Um, yeah, absolutely. you know, he said uh, Biden said, uh, in terms of significant cyber capability, he says that Russia, um, that the US do have significant cyber capability, and he says if they respond to uh, in terms of future cyber attacks or the, the, the insinuation that Russia have attacked American democracy in the past, and um, Biden said, uh, he being Putin knows it, he doesn't know exactly what it is but he knows it's significant with regard to the us's counter threat in terms of cyber um, intelligence he said if in fact they violate his basic norms we will respond with a, with a stronger cyber attack than russia so again it's sort of um, that testosterone thing you know my house is bigger than yours my car is bigger than yours kind of thing on display yeah between two people and suppose in a way um uh, you know uh, so that was i guess when you're talking to putin and you're challenging putin He's a man who's very a manly man, a masculine man. This is kind of how you approach someone like that, isn't it? By taking him on yeah. his own game. Absolutely. Yeah, I think generally the pair of them had to come out of that meeting and say the other one was great, right? Mm. You know, I think if they'd said anything else, it would have literally kicked off a cyber war. You know what I mean? Like, because um, like you said, they don't go on, they don't like, and there's blatant evidence that the Russians did actually. Mm. Uh, mess with you know hmm. the US elections which yeah. is you know fundamentally messing with democracy and messing with the country's internal affairs yep um, so we'll see how it goes because like I know there was a major part of what Biden said like you you, you said before saying about calling him a murderer and stuff because of the bounty hits yes. on American US soldiers marines in yep. the uh, in sort of the Middle East, yep. in Iraq, and mm. sort of other, like Syria and wherever they're currently operating. Mm-hmm. Um, these are very issuous things. So the fact that they came out and said that they liked each other, I don't think that was much, there was much other choice than no. doing that. 
No, I think that was just more for public image. And Putin again, um, quite um, quite nice about uh, about Biden, said he's a very he's a balanced and professional man, and it's clear that he's very experienced. It seems to me that we did speak the same language. So, yeah, yeah. So you, you can say that about your worst enemy. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and it still come across. You know, it just depends on the tone of which you say it. Yeah, I get the sense he'll have more respect for Biden. I don't think Putin actually, by his own admission, greatly respects any U.S. president. I think he said they're all the same, essentially, and the people in the background with the black, with the white, uh, the black coats and the suits—they're the ones who control things. Make of that what you will. But yeah, um, yeah. Did, I do, I do get the sense he probably has more respect for Biden than Trump. Who, and, and I think he actually sort of pitied Trump a little bit how he came over into that room oh, and basically yes. said everything that he, you know, he was basically the lap dog, wasn't he? Honestly, lapdog, fall guy, rich mate, yeah. whatever you want to call him, you know. Yeah. yeah. Know. Someone to take the fall when it doesn't quite go right in their plans in America. I don't know. Whatever yeah. you want to accuse Russia of doing, it's no lie that, you know, that yeah. sort of, you know, you only have to look at the Cold War to know the relationship between the US and the USSR. Absolutely. But the, Russia now, but back then it was the USSR. But yeah. Yeah. No, very good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm going to say a funny news story. I'm funny, I'm going to use loosely. Um, I saw this today, uh, earlier right. at work. And if I was to ever become an anti-vaxxer, uh, it would possibly be related to this video. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. I'll share it with you now, Adam, actually. Yeah, I haven't um, actually seen this. Yeah, no. so this is James Corden. If you've not seen it, are you sure? You've definitely not seen this. I've definitely not seen this. So James Corden is um, basically... Uh, singing and dancing along with Ariana Grande. Um, if it's not even on, it's not even on his Twitter, is it? But James Corden is basically singing along with Ariana Grande about the end of a lockdown, um, and everyone's losing the marbles. Uh, hopefully, this plays through yours, Adam. If not, you'll have to imagine how irritating it is. Uh, no, I, I can't hear it. I'm imagining. You the can imagine how irritatable it is. <laughs> So he's walking out of his house and he's singing singing loudly. And this is all in regards to the what lockdown is finally so this ended. Is, so this is about getting the vaccine, ending the lockdown, and this is his little publicity stunt with Ariana Grande. So for anyone who can't hear this, and I can, unfortunately, this is James Corden running around on the street, singing quite poorly. He's been involved in various musicals, one of which being Cats, which was probably a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, where he was basically a big fat cat uh, for the majority <laughs> of the film. Um, or, or, or I think as Richard, Ricky Gervais said, a big fat pussy live at the, uh, <laughs> at the <laughs> on the uh, Oscars. And now I, I think that's what Ricky Gervais said. Anyway, not me. Essentially, he's um, yeah, and they have a they 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 are branding a big photo of Anthony Fauci round on part of the video. Ariana Grande comes out looking uh, wonderful as she always does. Uh, she's a very good singer as well, Ariana Grande. I had a lot of respect for her when she did do the um, the obviously doing the Manchester Arena thing after the whole incident. So I've got no yeah, she's a bit of a hero on this hand. But yeah. uh, I've muted that for my own ears, uh, so I can't actually hear it now. And I've got the same view as Adam. But essentially, you can uh, for anyone who wants to see who hasn't seen it. Um, yeah, so James Corden, the whole the whole idea of it is he he's running around singing songs, looking overly happy. His voice isn't particularly good. He's done a lot of musicals, doing a lot of things now. He was he was at the Friends reunion thing. He was hosting it. Don't know how that happened either. But he's, uh, I think. Listen, I, I've got nothing against him. Probably a nice guy. 
he was good on Gary and Stacey, but I am still surprised to this day how his Gary and Stacey stints managed to get him a place in Hollywood doing interviews with some of the biggest people in the world on a late night talk show. And now he's down to Ariana Grande <laughs> celebrating the end of lockdown. Get your vaccine. He says, the longer you, the quicker you get your vaccine, the quicker we can come to, go to lockdown. And I'm not being funny. If, there's, if there was ever, as I say, Adam, ever um, a poster for anti-vaccine uh, propaganda, I think James has unfortunately uh, delivered a good um, a good message for that. Because I, I don't know. It really, it, it, I, my blood boiled when I saw it. I don't know why, but it did. Uh, what are your thoughts on James note. Corden? I love him. I think he's great because like yeah, I like him. What? It's just because he goes out and just um, oh, you are just you. care. I could do his care. job. I could do. Yeah, that's why I love him because he's just landed <laughs> the best job ever. People hate him because they want they want his life. Well, yeah. to be fair, Americans like him. Americans like yeah. him. Yeah, but all right then. Just before we do go, if you had to listen to Graham Norton or or um, or James Corden. Graham Norton. Yeah. Jonathan Always, Ross. every day of the week. Jonathan Ross, or Jonathan Ross or James Corden? James Corden. Would you? I don't mind what was it. I'm not a fan of was well, You're not a fan. Uh, he's not as good as right. not as good as Norton, but hey ho. Anyway, fantastic. So if you Adam likes James Corden, I'm not a fan. I think it's anti-lockdown <laughs> propaganda, really, that to be honest with you. But anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine, sorry, anti-vaccine. I'm joking, get a jab if you can, but don't if you really, really, really don't want to, because you might have some kind of because listen, it's democracy. But I would advise get the jab. Get the jab if you can, because then we can all go and have a pint. That's that's the best one. That's a good that's a that's a good summary to have. Good summary to have. Get the vaccine if you can. More people get vaccined quicker. This is over and done with, but we'd have to do a sing song about it, James. Anyway, no. very good. So join us next week where we, will, we won't have any is the 21st delay because we know it has been, but we'll probably have more understanding of the Delta variant. We'll probably have more understanding of how exactly this roadmap is going to unfold, whether it's going to be four weeks, whether it's going to be longer. And uh, yeah, we'll be, I suppose, one more week to freedom, where, whenever that uh, green light um, comes about, who knows, but it's one week closer, I guess, to that inevitable uh, date of freedom, whenever it may be. So take care, stay safe, and uh, thanks for listening. Thank you.